tonight's podcast is produced in partnership with the lovely literary people at Abbey's Bookshop in Sydney in Australia at 131 York Street. This Aladdin's Cave for Readers is full of jewels and has been family run since 1968. Listeners to the Literary Salon can go to abbeys.com.au and get a 10% discount on all fiction ooh, ooh, by entering Salon in caps at the checkout. Thank you, Abbeys. Now, uh, to our final guest tonight, um, the wonderful Ben Ockrey. Now, Ben has said, David, you've got a nice voice. Why don't you read a bit from my book? Ben has an amazing voice. Ben is an amazing writer. Um, so I feel incredibly uh, fraudulent, um, but I'll do it anyway. Um, this, um, this book um, is, in some ways, it's kind of a, not, not unlike Emily's. It's, a, it's a, but a band of people going to a place, and in the journey, they are transformed. Um, and when they get to the destination, the destination affects everybody differently. This is a bunch of filmmakers on the way to look for Arcadia. What is Arcadia? Um, what is our idea of a private paradise? Um, and when they get to this place, they are all altered by it. Some for the better, some for the worse, but it impacts on all of them. Um, and uh, we'll get to the how of that in a wee minute. But it's incredibly poetic. Um, and I'm just going to read to you sort of a chapter, but it's actually two paragraphs. They made their way to the hotel through the gentle darkness of the town. Near the clock tower, a night bird flew low overhead. The whirring of its wings reminded them of something ethereal, something they used to know but couldn't now remember. They were a little tired. In an obscure way, they felt they were being initiated into a new reality. They had become fond of the night town and had made it a small part of themselves. They felt they had become part of the town too, part of its dreams. In the town's black box would be recorded the fact that they had been there. They had breathed deeply there and hadn't merely passed through. They liked to think that its night would always recognise them. Please welcome the Booker Prize-winning novelist and poet, Ben Ockrey. <laughs> yes, I kind of, um, when I heard that um, I was going to be appearing at a, a salon, I thought, well, it'd be really lovely to read some poetry. Um, and as for the reading from my book, he's done it. I think he did a beautiful job. Um, <laughs> The other thing I want to say is uh, how, as it's taken me such a long time to get here. Um, <laughs> Spot the theme. Uh, yeah, really, I'm still, I'm still arriving actually. <laughs> I'll arrive maybe tomorrow. Um, what a pleasure it is to be here. It really, really, really is. Um, been looking forward to it. And um, it's the beginning of a kind of special adventure. Um, also, I've really enjoyed this evening um, all the um, writers have been really wonderful. I think it's been really varied. We've gone from plague to humor, um, to, to, Mar to Margaret Thatcher, and um, now some poetry. Uh, the question is, why poetry? Uh, because for me, poetry is the fundamental uh, dimension of my writing. It's what I started with, and whenever I have difficulties with writing, I always go back to poetry. It, it, it reawakens the pen, as it were. So, I'll read to, to you from my two collections. 
short poems. The first one is called An Undeserved Sweetness. And it's kind of taken from my poverty days. After the wind lifts the beggar from his bed of trash and blows him to the empty pubs at the road's end, there exists only the silence of the world before dawn and the solitude of trees. Handel on the set mysteriously recalls to me the long hot nights of childhood spent in malarial slums, in the midst of potent shrines at the edge of great seas. Dreams of the past sing with voices of the future. And now the world is assaulted with a sweetness it doesn't deserve. Flowers sing with the voices of absent bees. The air swells with the vibrant solitude of trees who nightly whisper of re-invading the world. But the night bends the trees into my dreams and the stars fall with their fruits into my lonely, world-burnt hands. You do it so well. <laughs> Another short one called An Anyone Who Doesn't. And anyone who doesn't tremble at the gates of reality will be broken by what they encounter in the city and its secret dungeon which keeps rising. At the gate of each unnameable reality it is possible to lose a fear and an illusion. It is possible to witness miracles in your life by surprising your destiny. Uh, another personal one uh, that I wrote, not, not during my poverty years, but during my doubt years. They still continue, but this was the big time of it. <laughs> and it's called More Fishes Than Stars. Um, if you like, kind of like uh, popular music, a good friend of mine called Harper Simon made a song out of it. It's a really beautiful song. He called it More Wishes Than Stars. More Fishes Than Stars. Everyone seems so certain. And everyone knows who they are. Everyone's got a mother and a father. Everyone knows where they're going and seems so sure they're going far. Everyone's got more friends than they can use. And they don't see how too much can confuse. Except me, because I'm a fool. I'm simple as a bee, but it doesn't matter. There are more fishes than stars. There are more fishes. Everyone seems so sure of themselves. And everyone is brimming with success. Everyone seems to know money will bring them the real happiness. Everyone's just been on holiday in the sun or are just coming back from one. They seem to have so much fun. <laughs> 
Everyone's with the latest thing. They don't seem to feel life's hidden sting, except me, because I'm a fool. I don't use everyone like a tool. I'm simple as a melody in C, but it doesn't matter. There are more wishes than stars. There are more wishes. I'm not too certain about many things, and I'm not too sure who I am. I ain't got no mother and no father. I'm slow, like the trees when they grow. I'm sluggish, like the ocean when it moves. And I love all things with a secret glow. I'm plain, like water or like rain. And I think it's unlucky to complain. I'm easy, like a fish that's free, or like that melody in sea. But it doesn't matter. There are more fishes than stars. There are more fishes. I'm not chasing success. I'd like to transcend happiness. And I'm not sure if money is a meaning of life or whether it conquers our strife. I ain't been on holiday for some time and I don't think that's such a crime. I sit still like an oak tree on a hill, open to the all like a window and a wall. But it doesn't matter because I get to go to the source of the sea where the mother of all things looks after me. There are more fishes than stars, more wishes than stars. Thank you. Later on, I'll read a few love poems. Maybe because, maybe because I quite like them. But now I, I want to continue a theme earlier, which is a classical theme. And if you don't know your Homer, well, you're going to be lost with this one. It's called The Forgotten Odysseus. Odysseus never finds the same woman he left behind. He lost her in the songs of the bird-like sirens under the belly of the sheep, in the one-eyed sleep of Polyphemus and the dreams of Calypso. When he finds her again, woven into the hallucinations of his dangerous homecoming, the old dog, as much traveled in dreams as its master, remembers when time was new without, without the war that love started. Penelope, veiled and hiding from suitors, remembers a man less old, less wily, less haunted by the endless seas, the alien suns, and the polluting wars. A man unknown for whom Ithaca is not homecoming, but the first broken journey towards a forgotten way of dying. Thank you. This, is, this one's called Piano and it's written for my goddaughter. It's got nothing to do with her at all. I just dedicated it to her. It's partly about music and partly about gentleness. Out of the shining wood, out of the quiet light of its sounding, 
A bluebird emerges, soars, and touches the sickle moon that rides a crescent cloud. In the darkness of a blue sky, and then a tender music fills the dream of an Italian evening in the hall where a child dances alone before the sea of light. Out of the bright mirror, a clear world stands waiting. Do we dare to enter or follow the strange call to a new shore where time is more? Where to dream is to love and to love is to give? There are no spaces but are full of unheard melodies, colors of spirit. Arches mirror the curved universe within as the sky mirrors our secret eternity. Out of the drawing, she sits as on moonbeams of delight. All things are made of a divine music, you know. When we're happy, doesn't it show? It is as if the primal world plays in us, shining through our transparent flesh, the God in us singing to the God outside us. I think maybe, maybe one or two love poems and then David. I can, I can feel David sort of like ready to pounce. Uh, a short one called, And If You Should Leave Me. And if you should leave me, I would say that the ghost of Cassandra has passed through my eyes. I would say that the stars in their malice merely light up the sky to stretch my torment and that the waves crash on the shores to bring salt stings on my face. For you reconnect me with all the lights of the sky and the salt of the waves and the myths in the air. And with your passing, the evening will become too dark to dream in and the morning too bright. And the last love poem called you, you Walk Gently Towards Me. You walk gently towards me in the evening light and brought silence with you which fell off when I touched your shoulder and felt the rain on it. We went through the city, up the roaring streets full of many lights and we sought a place to be alone and we found none. The evening was merciful on your smile. Your laughter touched the hungry ghosts of passing years. You moved smoothly on the waters. Your shadow sounded of silk. You led me to places full of mellow darkness, secret coves where they didn't let us in, and under the rain, you bid me kiss you with your silent and uncertain eyes. We walked home, and the rain laughed around us with its insistent benediction. And your hair was strung with its diadems, your face with glittering dreams, and my eyes were wet with your luminous, spirited joy.
Thank you. I think ben. that's enough poetry for one evening, don't you think? <laughs> <laughs> um, that was wonderful. Um, you said something at the beginning that really struck me. You said you always go back, um, always go back to the poetry. Um, and I wondered, you know, whether you, what you meant about that, like professionally, personally, you know, poetry for many people seems to be the thing that they struggle to do best, judging by the amount of bad poetry that <laughs> there is in the world. Um, and and for, for, for you, it's something that you have a, a comfort with, an easement with. I don't know. I, I, I don't know. I always think of poetry as being um, uh, a fundamental part of the human condition. I think to be alive is to be poetic, in a way. I think to be alive is a contradiction. Um, I think to be alive is a, is, is, is a paradox, um, where we're moving from one place and going to another. We're perpetually caught in this place in between. Um, where we're, we, we are a poetic creation by, by, by nature. Um, and for me, poetry is, is a return to very great simplicity. Not ordinary simplicity, which you get every day, but a great simplicity. Uh, that sees the unusual relation between things in a very gentle way. Um, so for me, going back to poetry is, is, like, is like going back to the, 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 the source of language itself. And does that get harder as you, as you get older and you write more and you read more? Is it, or is it something that you always feel able to get back to relatively easily, that simplicity? It's difficult to get back to simplicity easily. Yeah. Um, I think as you get older, things get more, more complex. It's, there's more forest to cut through. Um, there's more forest to cut through in your head. Um, we acquire complexity every day. Um, so for me, I, I, I like going back to ABC. I, I like the idea that um, Natalie is doing Greek, that you're learning Latin. Those are kind of ABCs, and that's what poetry is for me. It's, um, simplicity is really difficult. Um, yeah. Whenever I give master classes in writing, which I, I don't do that often, I always say maybe the most difficult thing is actually to be simple. It's very easy to be complicated. Um, because simplicity, simplicity really means, like, means calming your brain, calming your, your thoughts down so you can see things as they are. It's the seeing things as they are that's really difficult. It's much easier to see things as, as we are or as we fear or feel. It's so interesting that you say that. Jean Rees uh, uh, gave a piece of, uh, said to Diana Athill, uh, the wonderful uh, editor at Andre Deutsch, and memoirist, wonderful editor and memoirist, and she gave this piece of advice to me, and she said, when you write memoir, you must tell it as it was, get it as it was, be as simple as possible. And it really is the hardest thing in the world to get out of the way of yourself, isn't it? Well, yourself is kind of the biggest thing in the world. Um, how, do you get, how do you get the biggest thing in the world out of the way? It's... I mean, we, we every, any individual here will cor corroborate this, but we are, we are, we are, we are a world. We, we carry a huge, big world around with us. Um, and I, I, I've always said, um, along with simplicity, maybe the most important thing is clarity of thinking, um, to, to think clearly. Um, I, I, that's why before I write, I spend hours just walking just trying to just... Clear. Where do you go? I go wherever there's a road. Right, on a road. So you walk yeah. on a road, you don't go, go in the country. No, I, I walk in the city. I'm, I'm, okay. I'm a Londoner. Okay, you don't... We're not as lucky as you. Yeah, but, you, but you, could, you, could, you could go to the Heath or whatever. I mean, you know... So I'm, that's uh, a long way to go from where I live. <laughs> <laughs> I like to walk in my neighbourhood. You're such a pragmatic romantic. <laughs> I, love it, I love it. I like that. I like that. It's a good combination. <laughs> 
I'm so you walk before before you write, and, and 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 in the walking, are you thinking or are you just walking, trying not to think? It's an interesting. I'm kind of. I'm usually clearing away thoughts. Yeah. Um, because um, before I before I used to do this, when I sat when I sit down to write, I find I've got so much in the way of the thing I'm actually trying to write. So I I decided to try the experiment of just walking to see if I could walk out all the garbage first before I get to the page. And it's, it's kind of wonderful. It's, it's, um, now, the, the Age of I, rec I recommend it. The Age of Magic is presented as a novel, um, and it is written in prose, but it's, written, it's divided up into chunks of prose, which is sometimes more suggestive of poetry. And it has a sonorous, uh, lyrical quality. Especially when you read it. Thank you very much. I am available for audiobooks. Um, and, and um, you know, when, when, you, when you were thinking of the story of these people going to this mountain and having this experience, um, I mean, it is, uh, thinking of the classics, suggestive, again, of an epic poem. And I wondered, you know, did you, was that your first thought? Yes, I'll do this as a big, long poem. Or, or was it always going to be, you know, a novel? Good question. Um, I know. <laughs> um, <laughs> I, th I think the inspiration for it was really a mood, rather than um, mm -hmm. rather than a story. I think you can divide the kind of um, the kind of novels that many of us write into kind of plot, character, or, or mood. Um, and, 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 and mood is, is 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 very difficult because you have this you have nothing really to go by except this very powerful feeling, um, and you have to train yourself to get this powerful feeling to call forth the characters the the tone, especially the tone, mm -hmm. um, the theme, the place um, through which all of this will, as it were, be, 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 be resurrected, because it is a kind of uh, a resurrection. So, so I had this mood. Um, and was and the I, mood molasso? molasso? <laughs> the mood was compounded of, um, of good and evil, yes. Yeah. Yeah. And so the, the mood was the beginning? The mood was the beginning and, and a sentence. I usually have a sentence. And was the sentence the first sentence? The sentence got lost in the end. Okay. That so often happens because, though, it's a necessary step, isn't it? It's the thing that leads you to the beginning. Yeah. It's not the start in itself. I think, I think sometimes we, something starts us off on a journey and we insist on taking that thing with us when mm. sometimes it's already done its job. I wish more people would feel that way about their work. Um, <laughs> no, I really do. I mean, when I, when I, when I, when I teach... Uh, w w classes, I always say to people, you know, try cutting the first paragraph, try cutting the second paragraph, try cutting the last, the second last, and, and, and you're kind of cutting from both ends until you get to something, and it's the thing that's left, I think, that's the thing that's important, that, that you can then grow to something else. But so oft, it's like going to the gym and doing a warm-up, or, you know, or having an appetizer at your meal. It's like, you know, it's not the biggest thing. So. Yeah, and also when we start, we always start nervous. It's, yeah. it's, we always start with uncertainty, we start, we start not knowing what it is, we're, we're, you know. We might even know what the story is, but we don't know how we're going to tell it. Um, Do you still feel that way? I mean, having such great honors heaped upon you and such a powerful reputation, do you still feel nervous when you sit down to write? Oh, I feel nervous when I sit down to do anything. Really? Even when I sit down to read. I, yeah, I, f I fear the book might judge me really badly. <laughs> I'll open it up to questions now. I've got time for a couple of questions if you have them to ask. Ben. Natalie. Uh, I want to know, um, 
What book has judged you cruel in the past? It can't be one of your own. <laughs> Don Quixote. That's an interesting one. Is it one you go back to? Um, every two years. Really? Just for the judgment. Just. <laughs> it's important not to get feelings above yourself. It's like just, I just keep going back to that novel to feel bad. I'm trying to think now which novel I've read that's made me feel yeah, bad. It was probably something Russian. Um, it'll, be, it'll be the brothers Karamazov with you. Yeah, it, I, think it, I, think it probably, I think it probably was one of those. Um, I, I read Elif Batuman's book and I tried to read the Russians and I felt so judged. Oh, there's a question at the back, yep. Yeah, I think it, it does. Not only, not only the early stuff, it's not just the early stuff that you have that, this, that, that kind of nervous waste of words. You, I think you sometimes have it every time you sit down to write a new chapter. Um, so when I, when I walk, uh, yeah, I, I walk to clear that. I, I walk to, I don't write when I'm, I don't write in my head when I'm, I'm not thinking up sentences. I don't want to, I don't want to prejudge what I'm going to do when I get to the page. But I certainly want to prejudge what I don't want to do before I get to the page. Mm. Um, yeah. So I wouldn't call it a meditative walk. I'll call it more like a cauterizing, more like a, more like a, a weight reduction walk, a mental weight reduction <laughs> walk. <laughs> Um, this is a very good place, I think, to leave it. And I want to just remind you of what Ben said. It is possible to witness miracles in your life. Please join me in thanking Ben Ockery, Emery St. John Mandel, and Natalie Haynes. An amazing salon. Thank you so much. Thank you. Tonight's podcast is produced in partnership with the lovely literary people at Abbey's Bookshop in Sydney in Australia. This Aladdin's cave for readers is full of jewels and has been family run since 1968. Listeners to the Literary Salon can go to abbeys.com.au and get a 10% discount on all fiction by entering SALON in caps at the checkout. Thank you, Abbey's.